Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Trevor McNulty continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Jethro. And now, here's Trevor. Good morning, everyone. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, for most of it, we'll be looking through in Exodus. We'll be starting in chapter 1, working our way through. Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, I just pray that you'll work through me and that you'll speak your words and that none of my words are spoken, but it's all your message and to your people. And Lord, I just pray that you'll open up our minds and our hearts and Prepare us to receive it and act uh, act on it in our lives and that we are people that are gathering, hungry to gather your information that you're trying to teach us and that it changes our lives and that we love you and honor you in, every, in everything. And Lord, I just pray that uh, this morning uh, you will help uh, those who are here in person and those who are on Zoom to uh, to grow and to uh, and uh, just to, to hear the message this morning. Amen. Okay, so as with all stories, when you have characters, when you have different uh, different things transpiring, you sometimes really want to know the backstory, the history. Well, this is a historical account, so how much more important is it to understand what is going on? Because this is not a fictional story. Uh, when characters pop up, it is not a... Um, Everything has a purpose. Everything has a is connected, and this uh, in history, especially, it is of the utmost importance. So today we're going to be discussing Jethro, but in my opinion, to understand Jethro, we have to go way back to the beginning of Exodus and understand the conflict and the 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 events surrounding. Uh, this time period. So we're going to go to um, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, to, to see the beginning of the conflict. It says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all of that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous in the land was filled with them. Then a new king, whom did not know Joseph, meant not, or sorry, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So Egypt felt like the Israelites who came through Joseph's time were becoming a massive threat to them and their people. Uh, basically, they viewed them like the enemy was growing from within within their walls. And there is nothing to really indicate that Israel was had any aggression or anything, but they were becoming powerful. And we all know what power does to people. And when you're going to lose it, you do crazy things. And... Uh, Egypt was absolutely no different. So a few generations prior to that, Joseph saved Egypt from the famine. 
But all of that was forgotten. Egypt, you know, benefited from having this Israelite come and live amongst them and worked his way up and had power and prominence. And new king, don't know this guy. All those uh, things are forgotten. And now all I see is the vast numbers that your descendants are becoming in my land. And so they instituted slavery for the Israelite people. So in verse 11, it says, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them and force them into labor. Then they built Pit, I can't Pitfum and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and working them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter and harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the field. In all the, their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And when this did not work, uh, they didn't just stop there. They said, oh, wow, we got to go one step further. So then they said, to the midwives who were helping deliver the Israelite babies. When you are helping a Hebrew woman during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not know what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let, or sorry, they, sorry, they did not, they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So this also did not work. So pick it up in verse 22. Every Hebrew boy that was born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So that brings us, as we fast forward, that brings us to Moses. And as we know the story, Moses was floated down the river in the basket, went to Pharaoh's palace, and was seen by Pharaoh's daughter. And this is a key thing. It says in verse 6 to 10 of Exodus 2, she felt sorry for him. Her father is the one doing all this. The babies are dying like crazy. A lot of things are going bad. And she sees this one and feels sorry for him. She took him in and, you know, I would have to imagine there was some sort of a risk to her during this, you know, and but she took took him in, told her servant to go find or told her sister to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse him. And when he was older, she took him in as her own and called him Moses, meaning I drew him out of the water. So. As Moses grows up, as we know, I'm just trying to run through the details uh, as he was growing up in verse 11 of chapter 2, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way that and that way, seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting a fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing us or killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, 
What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up to their rescue and watered their flock. Skip ahead to verse 20. And where is he? Jethro asks, or he is also known as Raoul in some translations, asks his daughters, Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. In verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. So that is Moses' first encounter with Jethro. And uh, through Jethro's gratefulness for what Moses did for his flock and for his daughters, he offers uh, Zipporah to him in marriage. Now, it is important to note that at this time, the two main historical characters we're discussing come from backgrounds that do not worship the God of Israel. Egypt had all sorts of gods. It was insane. Midian, likewise. Um, you know, in Egypt, they worship gods like Orisis, Horus, and Amon, while the Midianites worship gods like Baal-Pahor and others. And Jethro was a priest of Midian. So I, you would have to assume fully fully given over to the, the false gods, serving them in, in their traditions and, and their ways. And Moses grew up in Egypt, fully educated uh, in their ways and their gods, and there's no indication to show that he thought any differently, except, you know, there was the one mention that at some point in time he became known that, yeah, like, those are my people. I am Israeli by heritage, but nothing to show that he worshipped the God of Israel at this point. So, well, thank you. So after meeting uh, Jethro and marrying his daughter Zipporah, he lived in Midian for 40 years, tending to Jethro's sheep and living the life in the Midian culture. So if you flip forward to Exodus 3, uh, while Moses was tending Jethro's flock, Moses' life changes forever. Um, and this is the account of the burning bush. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have been a really nice thing to have happen. Uh, you know, take all doubt and all anything out of your faith experience when uh, when a burning bush is talking to you. And, uh, and, and it didn't only end there for Moses, but this is the start, okay? Um, Moses res- receives this conversion moment uh, that we would all clearly love to have. God showed up in an undeniable way to Moses, um, and he changed Moses' life without a doubt. Um, the key is that Moses recognizes it, and, but, it also reinforces the point that I was making earlier that Moses, to this point, did not know personally the God of Israel. He would have known that Israel 
had that God because they were many of them in Egypt, all oppressed people. And but to to know them personally, uh, I think that this would back up to say that they did not. He did not know. Um, when you look at verses four to six, it says, "When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look." God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses fell, hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. So God at this point calls Moses to free Israel and naturally Moses' response probably as it should be is saying who am I? Who am I to do this? That is a, you know, a gigantic task and um, but the key is that Moses obeyed when God called and in verse 13 Moses says to God suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is your name? What am I to tell them? Now, somebody who knows God personally, it's like if someone's you're in a phone conversation with somebody and you're like, I should recognize who's talking to me. And, I, you know, I need to, to figure this out. But then you at the end of the conversation, just to make sure, especially if you're taking a message for your wife or your spouse or whatever, and you say, oh, yeah, and, and who's calling you know, basically that's what Moses is doing. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I'm checking into this and seeing. But but who do I say is sending me? That's not someone who has confidence of knowing who is talking to him right away. But he has seen the power. He is seeing this God is different than the false gods of Egypt. He is seeing that this God is true. And he's making sure he's got, he's got his information in a row as to who to follow and who to communicate. And... God says to him, God says to Moses, tell them, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to, to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of Jacob, or the Lord, the, sorry, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now the focus of this morning is not Moses. So we'll need to fast forward to this next bit. But we all know the plagues and the events and everything that happens in Egypt. At the, after this, after Moses had obeyed, which is obviously a key. And he went and he did God's work in Egypt and was a first-hand witness of the power and might of God in undeniable ways. Now, after everything that happened in Egypt, all the miraculous things uh, of the plagues and everything, and God's power, God caps it off with with an event, and uh, it's um, you know the crossing of the Red Sea. Now. We look at this and say, okay, like that's, you know, that's insane. 
uh, obviously, but there's a key here. And that God, um, God is in control of everything, and he is not afraid to show us his power and his might. And everything is planned, so don't forget that. Everything happens for a reason. But if we look at verse 14, in chapter 3, sorry, I believe. Sorry, chapter 14. It puts it this way. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back. I never caught that before. But they are free and clear from the Egyptians. They've been released. They're on their way. And in verse 14, God says, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi <laughs> Hirathoth and between Megadol and the sea. Why would he do that? Why say turn back? The mission was to free. Israel from Egypt. That's been done. They are free. But he says to turn back. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite of Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in, sorry, wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So that, so the Israelites did this. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire Pharaoh, army of Pharaoh had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. That that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead in the, on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord, they displayed, sorry, the mighty hand the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So like I said, God is mighty, is powerful, and he has a plan. And his plan was to do that all along. But why? Why do that? And what does this have to do with Jethro? 
So Jethro is a priest of Midian. He is not a believer of God. He has given his daughter over to Moses in marriage. Moses lived with them for 40 years in Midian. They had two sons that I mentioned, maybe more children, we're not sure. And, you know, so he knows this Moses character. He knows what he's about, what he believed for the 40 years. But he saw an obedience after Moses left and saw the burning bush. Moses was communicated by God as to what is going on, why this is happening. And he went and Jethro knew about this, gave him his blessing as he went back uh, to Egypt. And the key here is that Jethro and Moses alike were converted people. They saw the evidence of God. Moses saw it firsthand. Jethro saw it through uh, a son-in-law who had a massive change in his life and had an insane historical accurate account of things that happened that he came back with. And both men could not deny that the God of Israel is the true God. And it says in verse 9 of chapter 18, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord has done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, his father-in-law, in the presence of God. So, looking at the evidence changes people. Whether it's Jethro, Moses, me, or you, it's, it's true and it's clear that looking at the evidence, it changes you. It has to. And, you see, in Exodus 4, the man that Moses was, was very different than in Exodus 18. In in Exodus 4, Moses tried to weasel out of going. He said to God, He said, God, can't you send Aaron? He speaks much better than I do. You know, he's he's not like, yeah, God, I'm on this. I'm going, you know, I just met you. You know, I don't, you know, I'm just, he was a man who was saying, oh man, I just saw a God in a burning bush. I had this crazy experience. And yet I'm still the man who's saying, well, not me, Lord, send somebody else. And that, that was Moses. But I'm sure the Moses that came back from that experience was a changed man, a changed Moses. And the priest of Midian, Jethro, was a changed man 
because of the change he saw and heard of in Moses' life and the Israelites. And trust me, Egypt was a power in that day. The the disasters that God caused in there and the, the, the guiding of his hand and everything that happened, the Red Sea crossing, that would have been news that spread like crazy and historically fact, accurate in fact. And you can't deny that God is God when stuff like that happens. Moses went to do an impossible task. But with God, anything is possible if we are his servants, his followers. And the key is converted people who are obedient to the Lord. If we are not truly converted and we are holding back and we sit in there and we're thinking, why is God not working through me? Maybe we're not giving all of ourselves to God. And we need to be fully converted, fully in people. Jethro sums it up great when he says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. Because we have many gods in our society too. We need to make sure they do not have a foothold in our spiritual walk. So in chapter 18, we see that Moses has uh, a massive responsibility put on to him. So if you're in looking between verses 13 to 23, you'll see that Moses was put in a position to be the judge of the people. And we'll read those verses. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me and seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me. And I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men, men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over uh, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring the difficult cases to you. 
the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Now, isn't that advice we all need to hear? Share the load. Ministry is not for individuals. It is for community. Be supportive. Be together. Work together. Don't allow yourself to burn out. Uh, picking the right people is essential. These are all very awesome, great advice given by Jethro to Moses. So how many of us in ministry burn out? I know I've definitely been there. I wouldn't be surprised if others have felt that too. And some recover, some don't. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough, tough thing when you, when you burn out. And the, um, but the thing is, we need to protect ourselves and we have to pour, we, we're called to pour out. Absolutely. We have to have the support around us to help and pour back in and, and to share the load. Now, um, when we're talking about the load that Moses would carry, if we look at Numbers um, 146, we look at the census that was taken, the first census. The people of Israel at that time were 603,550. That is an incredible load for one man to even think about carrying. Our load might be 20 people. It might be four. Who knows? But all that we know is that if you have good intentions, ministry aspirations for God, and we're doing it for the Lord because it is His ministry, it's not ours. So protect yourself from pride. Protect yourself from it being who you are. The ministry is what you do because we're called to do it. It is not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. A child of God should serve his father. That is who you are. If we allow ministry to become who we are, like Moses easily could have been, it will erode and destroy you because you will grab on with a death grip. You won't let go. You won't let others in. You won't. And that doesn't go very well. So if your ministry starts with four, becomes 20, and then all of a sudden it explodes in numbers, well, guess what? That explosion will quickly implode. And who suffers when that happens? God does. Because we're his representatives. And if we put a bad foot forward and we burn out and implode, God pays a price for that. People see our failures, our sins, our issues, and unfortunately attach that to God. And they look at when we mess up and when our ministries flounder and different things, and that is the last thing we ever want to do. So if we take anything from Jethro's advice to Moses, it is share that load, don't burn out, and go on strong. Give yourself a plan that will last, not a land, one that will fizzle out as quick as it started. 
as always, I, I would highly recommend you weigh anything advice-wise or anything. Like Jethro is a, is a new converted person here who was a priest of Midian. So his knowledge and his background was all false gods related until extremely recently. And as with anybody, if advice is given, weigh it against the Bible. So if the Old Testament advice is given from a man, not from God, it does not say it came directly from God, weigh it against the Bible, weigh it against the New Testament, weigh it against the teachings. doesn't match up. Even Jethro says this himself. When you read in verse 23, it says, If you do this, and God so commands. So Jethro, a new convert person, he even knew. Weigh it against God. Go in prayer. Not just in the big things, everything. It's God's ministry, it's not ours. It's, you know, go back to Scripture, go back to God, go back and pray. But he says, this is the advice I am giving to you as a man. Do it only if God commands. And that is super important. But if we weigh these verses against the New Testament, we will see quickly that God, through the letter to Timothy from Paul and the book of Luke, both back up what Jethro is saying. So in Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 3, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, desire a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Very similar to what Jethro said. And there's obviously other verses on the qualifications and of overseers and elders, and they all match. So, so that is, um, so Jethro has good advice on that one. And then in Luke 10, 1, uh, when the Lord is speaking, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Again, sharing the load. Not sending them out as individuals, two by two. Support each other. Get out there and do the work. The one piece of advice um, that I missed the first seven times at least reading through it um, was when we look in verse 23. And it says that, you know, that, that portion where God says to, to do it if he commands. And, you know, that, that, that's just a warning for everybody. Like, I was studying this passage a lot, obviously, and how many times we, we just read it and we just miss it. We read it again, we still miss it. We read it, we miss it. But it's, um, it's important to, to, to take slow study and look at every little piece and see 
it because I'll be honest with you, through the studying I was doing, and you look at, you know, and I never do this, but for one reason I did this time, because I was just kind of like, okay, what is the, what's with the priest of Midian? So I, I looked into a commentary, and there's nothing wrong with commentaries, but obviously be, be wary, because every commentary you read will say something different. So, but the one said that, you know, hinted that mo- the advice that Jethro gave might have been, you know, not God-given or not in God's timing and whatever it might have affected Moses' relationship with God moving forward and that God's relationship changed from how he dealt with and talked and with Moses before and after this event. Now, that is a huge study. I'd encourage you to look into it, but we don't have time for that this morning. But the key is to really examine, to look, and to see. And to me, that question got answered when Jethro said those simple words. He said, if you do this and God so commands. So right there, that kind of answers that one. But it's important to to really check in. But I better wrap this one up. But the key is, we don't see what Egypt saw. We're not, you know, we, we haven't seen that in our lifetime where God just steps up and does things in that way um, that we notice. I'm sure he's doing it. I'm positive he's doing it. But in Egypt and in this way, it was unbelievably, miraculously clear. And those people were so blessed to see that. And But in our ways... We still have to follow the evidence. We still have to see who God is through what he's created and what he's done that we can see around us. And one of those things is, you know, going outside and looking up at the sky at nighttime or looking at the complexities of our bodies and, and how that works and all the complexities of life and how God's knit everything together and that without the creator holding everything together, none of it works, none of it makes sense. And it's all created and all for him. And and that's the key tonight, or this morning, is that Moses and Jethro were changed. They saw the evidence, they were changed. We need to see the evidence and be changed. And it's um, and in all that we do, we have to obey and serve and do what God has put and trusted to us. And Let's be a church that obeys God and looks for the evidence all around us and allows it to change us. And most importantly, to God be the glory. Amen. We'll just bow and close in prayer, but I've just been given a little note that Irene leaves this week. Um, so say your farewells I suppose and we'll keep Irene in prayer and it's been good to have you with us and we'll see you again sometime I'm sure (laughs) let's pray thank you Lord for the time that we've spent together this morning thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the life of Jethro and from what he learned about you as he saw you working in the world and as uh, we've just been singing as we learn these lessons help us to follow you Pray for Irene as she leaves us and we pray that you would bless her and encourage her and go before her and may she continue to 
uh, be your uh, witness wherever she she travels. Thank you again for blessing us with this time, and we pray that you would help us through the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.